1: to Catholic Review Radio. I'm George Matisek, digital editor for the Archdiocese of Baltimore and the Catholic Review. Tony Pagnotti, a much beloved Baltimore broadcaster and a parishioner of St. John in Columbia, is the author of a new book called My Scripted and Unscripted Life. It's a colorful memoir about his long career in the local news business. In our second segment, Paul McMullen will talk with Tony about the new book. But first, on this Father's Day, we talk with Josephite Father Kingsley Ogbuji about the critical role fathers play in the lives of their sons. While preparing to become a member of the Josephites, a Baltimore-based religious society that has a special ministry to African Americans, Father Ogbuji ministered for several years in a Howard County prison. He now serves as pastor of St. Peter Claver in Houston, Texas. Here's our interview with Father Kingsley Ogbuji.
2: Father King Cleo Bugie, thanks so much for being here on Catholic Review Radio.
3: Thank you, George, for having me. Nice to be here with you.
2: And happy Father's Day to you and your parishioners there.
3: Oh, thank you so much, and happy Father's Day to you also.
2: <laughs> I-, I know when you were a seminarian preparing to become a Josephite priest, you spent some time in the Archdiocese of Baltimore. Uh, you were ministering at St. Peter Claver in West Baltimore. And then you also did several years of ministry in the prisons here in the Archdiocese of Baltimore. I know you served at the Howard County Detention Center, and you did a lot of counseling, and you had a lot of opportunities to meet the men in the prisons. Could you talk about that experience, especially as it relates to fatherhood and the importance of having a strong father figure in, in your life? Yeah,
3: sure. Thank you. Um, first of all, let me uh, begin by saying that um I'm a Josephite, and uh, the Josephites we have our headquarters in Baltimore, but um, as a seminarian, we have our formation house in Washington, D.C. So I was um, I was staying in Washington, D.C., but I had a, a, a prison volunteer ministry with the Howard Detention Center in Baltimore, and it was a great privilege. Actually, it was something that was on my heart, so I decided to go to my rector and ask him. From the permission to do that, and he granted that, and it was really a very, um, very important experience and opportunity for me to encounter my brothers and sisters who were incarcerated. So we were going there every Saturday, sharing the word of God with them, and you know, uh, encouraging them, counselling them. And um, one of the one particular experience stood out to me during my time there. I was there for about four years before I was transferred to. Uh, 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 Houston, Texas. On one occasion, I met, um, you know, I met a gentleman, and he asked me a very profound question. He said to me, "Will God ever forgive me?" And I was really taken about by the question, and I asked him, "Why do you ask, will God ever forgive you?" And so this gentleman, he proceeded by telling me how, you know, how he got into a very heated argument with a girlfriend, and he was so enraged and he did not know where the rich came, how the rich came about. But he went and got his gun and shot and killed a girlfriend, and and now he is spending the rest of his life in jail. And so, but he was tormented. He said to me, he could not sleep night and day because of what he did. And uh, he was asking me whether God would ever forgive him. And uh, I spoke with him. I encouraged him. I, I break the word of God with him, and we uh, we spoke for a long time. But one of the things that I discovered in the course of my discussion with him was that when he was growing up, he had he had no male or father figure in his life, and uh, I believe that well, he said that actually to me that he had no sense of purpose in his life. So, and I believe, well, personally, that a lot of our young people, especially uh, uh, um, young men are uh, suffering because of the lack of um, the lack of father or father figures in their life. So this young man said to me he had no father figure in his life and so he joined the gang and he did a lot of other bad things and all that kind of stuff. But then when this the whole thing happened and now he's now incarcerated, he's now thinking about his life and what he would do. In fact after speaking with this gentleman in the prison, he said to me, I think God is calling me to start up a ministry in this prison, you know, let me begin a Bible study in the, in the prison so that I can talk to other folks and tell them, you know, what I did and how God is using me to, in fact, I really, I really want to be a messenger of Christ, why I am incarcerated, because he had come to accept the fact that we would spend the rest of his life in jail. And so he now be, he began to see a sense of purpose in his life, to talk to other inmates especially those that may leave or something like that, in order to tell them not to do the kind of things that he did. But I think it's very important that we understand that if a young man has no sense of direction, a sense of purpose, you know, in his life, it is difficult for that person to organize his life. So the Bible tells us in Jeremiah, it says, Before you were formed in the womb of your mother, I already knew you. What you will become, I already know. So when God created us in his own image and likeness, in the book of Genesis, he gave each and every one of us a mission, a purpose in life. And if we are growing up and that sense of purpose, that sense of direction is just not there, it's very difficult for anybody, but especially young men, to organize their life. And then that's when... Many of them, they will fall prey to those who will be calling there, why don't you join a gang that will give you a sense of identity? Why don't you do this and I'll, I'll do that? And when they get on into that trouble, it's something that will continue to affect them negatively. You know? So my experience there in, in working uh, at that uh, center was very, very um, informative. I got to understand a lot, and I got to understand the helplessness and what people go through a lot. You know, when you see people incarcerated, you, you don't just judge them because they've made one mistake or the other. The Bible says, all have sinned and are fallen short of the glory of God. Nobody, you see, the Bible says, if you, o Lord, open the record of our wickedness, nobody can even stand before you. You know, so when you see people who are there, don't judge them. Many of them have been through a lot. Many of them have no sense of direction. Many of them have no father figures in their life. And so they are looking, they are yearning, they are crying out. From the, in, from the inside, you know, asking who can direct us, who can help us. You know, unfortunately, not too many hands are there to help them. But I'm glad that God was able to use me, you know, those few years to bring comfort and consolation and to bring hope to the lives of those uh, young men and, you know, women also in that, in that facility.
2: What can be done to give support to fathers so that they they take care of their children and and they become the kind of example that you're talking about so that their children don't wind up in prison? What kinds of things can can we do as a church and just as a society to support fatherhood?
3: You know, it has to be a holistic approach. You know, it has to be a holistic empowerment. It's not just one thing or uh, this thing or that thing. No, it has to be all-encompassing. It has to be a holistic approach. What do I mean by that? A father or a young man or, you know, a male has to be empowered holistically. He has to be empowered emotionally. That's why when I was in Washington, D.C., just my first year in the priesthood, and I'm three years in the priesthood, but uh, uh, May of 19 of this year, I was three years. Just my first year in the priesthood, what I did was I I created a um, a support group in my parish. I created a support group, but uh, these were just a few friends of mine. It was not open to everybody. It was a few friends of mine that I gathered together, and every, uh, every two weeks we'll gather together in the church, and then we'll sit down, and just, you know, it was a safe zone. It was a safe place, and people will be, you know, talking and talking, and you'll be amazed the kind of things that, these men will be pouring out from their hearts and you'll be amazed how they'll be crying in front of other men because they think okay these people are people that can understand me. These people are you know men like myself. But when they go out there they're hanging out with others, they play strong, they play strong. you know, but when they, when you create that support zone that they can throw out everything going on inside of them. It gives them that release. It gives them that you know emotional support. I think it's very, very important that we empower men emotionally by creating this, especially in our churches. And not only uh, supporting them emotionally, men we have to empower them economically. Very important because if a man doesn't have uh, money, if the man doesn't have a job, if the man is not working because of whatever reason, that man becomes an angry man. You know, so we have to. We have to devise ways and means to support men economically by giving them, telling them the opportunities that are out there, you know, calling on experts to come and talk to them. You know, many of them have been incarcerated. Many of them think, oh, no, this is not going to work for me anymore. And they are right because sometimes the society is designed to keep those that have been incarcerated to keep them away from the society. So getting them together and telling them there are opportunities out there to be empowered financially and economically is very important. But personally, for me as a priest, I think spiritual empowerment is absolutely necessary. You know, the Bible tells us, off for me, you cannot do anything. And I think that is, that is very, very true, especially for men. When you go to our churches today, you see, you know, we have a lot of women, but the men are nowhere to be found. You know, for, for some reason, I don't really understand why, but the men are nowhere to be found. We have to encourage them spiritually, empower them spiritually to understand that their relationship with God is the most important thing in their life. There's a place in the Bible, St. Paul says, I wish that all men, all men would pray, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think empowering them holistically will really help them to become better human beings and to be there to support their children and their families.
2: We have about 30 seconds left. I, this this is the year of St. Joseph. Could you talk a little bit about what St. Joseph can teach us about fatherhood?
3: Um, Joseph uh, can teach us two things about fatherhood. Joseph was a provider, and Joseph was a protector. He was always providing for his families, and he was always there protecting his family. And I think Jesus Christ, as a human being, as a man, got his strong identity as a man from his own father. So um, Joseph was just a, just a man of few words, but action, always a, a provider and a protector. And I think as a man, you know, uh, as a man, we ought to uh, provide for our families and we ought to protect our families. Most importantly, he was also a man of prayer.
2: Well, Father Kingsley Oguji, thank you so much for being here again on Catholic Review Radio. Thank you
3: so much. Thanks for having me.
1: Father Obuji recently moderated a four-part webinar on Black Fatherhood sponsored by the Baltimore-based National Black Catholic Congress. To watch some of those episodes, visit www.nbccongress.org. Again, that's www.nbccongress.org. We're going to take a little break, and when we come back, Paul McMullen talks with Tony Pagnotti about his new book, Scripted and Unscripted, a memoir of a TV newsman. I'm George Matasek. You're listening to Catholic Review Radio.
4: With inviting surroundings, complete independence, and an unmatched quality of life, Mercy Ridge is the unparalleled choice for your retirement lifestyle. It's a way of living that promotes an active, healthier life. Located in Timonium, Maryland, Mercy Ridge Continuing Care Retirement Community features a beautifully landscaped 32-acre campus. The grounds, dining, and recreational amenities and residences are designed to provide a gracious lifestyle and a variety of exciting activities. Visit mercyridge.com.
0: This is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio.
5: This is Paul McMullen, Managing Editor of the Catholic Review. Our guest this Father's Day weekend is Tony Pagnotti, a familiar face to Baltimore TV viewers, who recently published a book titled My Scripted and Unscripted Life, a memoir of a TV newsman. The book was published by Apprentice House. It's a student-managed book publishing venture of Loyola University, Maryland. And the book's roots on the Evergreen Campus in North Baltimore run pretty deep as the project came out of Pagnotti's senior thesis for his master's degree at Notre Dame of Maryland University. Uh, the book shares the ups and downs of Pagnotti's career, which took him to 10 different stations from his hometown of Scranton, Pennsylvania, for the bright lights of New York City, to his adopted hometown of Baltimore, where he became the very friendly face of WMAR, Channel 2. Tony, thanks for being with with, with us here today.
6: Hey, Paul, thanks so much for uh, reaching out to me. Well, I I just completed your book.
5: I enjoyed it immensely. And uh, one of the things that I found working for the Catholic Press is that I I enjoy... uh, Telling the good, sharing the good news. And and one of the takeaways from your book is your aversion to the news uh, gathering practice of if it bleeds, it leads. And that kind of became your passion and your trademark at Channel 2 uh, with Tony's Travels. Can you tell us uh, about how you grew that passion and and why your career leaned that way?
6: Well, you know, I look back and I think. The reason I got into TV news, maybe I—I thought I that was the only outlet. I wanted to tell stories. I'm a storyteller. I was never a hard news, blood and guts, crime city council. I never. But once I graduated, I thought, you know, TV—I got, you know—can you know, find uh, like an entertainment show or whatever, and there were some out there, but I wasn't going to get a job there. So I wound up, you know, going to North Carolina, and then I moved to other, as you see in the book and here in the book. Uh, And I was finding that in order, I would say, hey, I want to do some stories that have an impact. I want to do the stories that, you know, people are going to say, oh, you know, that's a feel good because that's my personality. Uh, They go, okay, well, yeah, you might get one of those, uh, but you got to go out and cover this murder. You got to cover it. So I played that role. Not that I faked it, but I knew what was expected of me right up through New York City where I was getting great feature and and impact stories and profiling underdogs. And then, okay, you're going to Harlem to the fire. You're going to the derailment. You're going to this or that. And I thought, how long? You know, I was really losing the steam of getting a carrot thrown to me every now and then. So when I got to Baltimore in 1985, I had been out of work. I left well, not voluntarily uh, because I either could stay doing blood and guts and hard news or, or the weather or features, which I was in line for. Uh, so I wound up going to Baltimore. And I said, look, i worked here, but I, in addition to the weather, which was a weather position, I need to know you're going to just let me do my thing. Well, we can't guarantee that. And this is after, you know, New York or, anything else. so I, just was so excited that they had the telephone, they had the MDA, they had the Hopkins. Next thing I know, they're saying, wow, you know, he really has a passion for this. He, he likes what he's doing. People are responding. And that was the first time in my career, after, let say, 10 years, a station actually let me be who I wanted to be. And I just took, you know, I took off with it and, and felt blessed to be there and actually do what I love doing. And that's, you know, telling stories from the heart. Uh,
5: you, I wish you could see the smile on my face. You mentioned the telethons. You worked with Jerry Lewis. You, you mentioned in your book brushes with Bill O'Reilly, Howard Stern, uh, how Oprah Winfrey impacted your career for for good or bad. Um, you, as a a former sports writer in Baltimore, you left out the one of the greatest anecdotes uh, ever in Baltimore <laughs> sports media history. Can you tell us about your, your dealings with Randy macho man Savage?
6: Oh yeah. that's So uh, his trademark, he was, and I forget what year this was, it was somewhere in the, uh, I guess early nineties. And I'm a fan. I've always been a fan of wrestling back to the Bruno San Martino days as a kid. And so it was such a treat when the show came to the Baltimore arena, I guess I might high school in the civic center, but anyway, uh, I said, okay, so we we we're gonna do a live. He was gonna be fighting Hulk Hogan, big. The, yeah, so we get there at my live crew. And I go, okay, so the promoter said we're gonna bring Randy out. You're gonna have live, and Scott Garceau was gonna intro me from the studio, and we got Tony Gallup. So two minutes into the commercial prior to Scott introing me, a promoter walks out and says to me, "Sorry, you can't. We can't do the macho interview." I go, "What do you mean?" And I'm, ring, I'm standing like ringside my photographer, and we all said to Guy, What do you mean? Uh, the manager or the producer saw you, and you're, I'm 6'5, and Macho was built like crazy, but he is like 5'9 or 5'10 on a good day. And I go, It's all image, it's marketing. You can't be towering over the Macho man. And I go, and we'll send you another, somebody else. And they weren't going to send me Hulk. They're going to send me somebody in the undercar. Now you please. And I'm like thinking, oh my God, what am I going to do? I had minutes to go. And what I said to them was brilliant, I guess, or maybe just panic on my part. I said, I will sit on the steps leading up to the ring. And I will sit during the interview. You sure you're going to sit there? Yep. I sat there. Here comes the macho man with Miss Elizabeth, his manager. And I did a shtick with him, and he called me Tough Tony. And I, we had this little thing, and before you know, I go, "Wow, <laughs> I saved the day just because uh, I thought I was going to lose my my big interview with the Macho Man." You know, I'm
5: five eight. I never had that problem in my time interviewing people. <laughs> T- Tony, you worship at Saint John the Evangelist in Columbia, and your book includes stories about a blind nun who basically lived on her CB radio. And you, you were a familiar face at the summer festivals at St. Leo the Great and Little Italy. And when you were looking to branch out uh, your teaching career, once your uh, broadcasting career was winding down, you found yourself uh, partnering with Catholic Charities of Baltimore, and it's Christopher Place Employment Academy. How did that come about?
6: Well, quite honestly, Channel 2 was, was pretty much exploding. In the book it tells about... How, even though I was this, you know, I thought I'd retire there, and I'd been there for maybe 15 years, but then new management, new ownership, hey, we need to do more live, local, late-breaking. You know, I was the, the elephant in the room. I was like, now, just better looking ways to get rid of me. Then they moved my position to part-time, and the next thing I you know, I'm out the door. And I was a man without a job. I was like, how did that happen? And... Uh, I was so really despondent at the time. I thought, you know, this is one time where you have the time, try doing some volunteer work. Uh, I had done some volunteer work at soup kitchens over the years and things, but I thought I wanted to try to turn my communication experience. So I had heard about Christopher Place, and someone said, you know, they have a workshop where these guys are, they were looking for jobs and, you know, like need training. And so I met with a director and I said, I said, can you come up with like a workshop where once a week you come in? And so I came up with a thing called confidence and communication. And I would go in there and I'd say, wow, these guys were like actually looking forward to, and I was getting feedback and I'm going to the interview. And it was like, I thought, wow, of all the jobs I had, I actually found something that really I felt, Outside of TV, I thought, you know, I could, there is life after TV. So that's what led me to say i got to get a master's degree because no matter where you go, not necessarily a volunteer, but if you want to teach at a college level, which I figure was my opportunity, you need a master. So at age 55 or so, I said it was because of my experience. Uh, at Christopher Place, and in full disclosure, saying the guy who wrote a very nice story in the Catholic Review about a success story about the guy who wanted to work at Jiffy Lube and one of my former students at Christopher Place, you wrote a nice profile article back then. And I just thought, that's the incentive I needed to say, okay, you can do something else. You're not just television. And and that's how it all led to, to me getting into teaching and just trying to... Pass along what I've learned over the years. Well,
5: Tony, you, you've touched so many lives, be it the, the children fighting uh, life-threatening uh, illnesses, working on the telephones, and helping somebody at Christopher Place Academy, uh, Employment Academy uh, find a new life. I did not know that the guy that I featured uh, over at Jiffy Lube was what had been one of your students that that makes the story even better and and before that we also wrote about you in the catholic review correct yes Just about your yes, course
6: indeed. that's how we uh, reconnected exactly so i mean i when i was thinking about the whole connection i looked in the book and i go i've had a contact and i i ran into you uh, <laughs> And I thought, you know what, when I write the book and the book comes out, Paul has to know about this, because really, the whole, the whole Catholic uh, Review, and again, uh, with my experience at Christopher Place, I don't know, I mean, that was the white one on there, so I, I will always be so grateful for uh, my experience, uh, you know, with the Catholic Review and and everything that that's led to where I am today, retired and the and a grandfather and not in tv once in a while they call me a fill in if they're desperate on fox 45 but i know those days are over and i still uh, teach part-time here and there at a couple of community colleges so uh, uh i'm doing okay but it's uh it's nice looking back at some of those great memories uh, great memories indeed tony tell us where the book
5: can be uh found where can people buy the book
6: uh, if you go to Amazon, uh, you just want sort to of Google Pagnotti book, up pops uh, the cover of me and Jerry Lewis, which in the book tells them about that experience. But, and you, and you uh, tower
5: over him, too. Uh, the book is My Scripted and Unscripted Life, A Memoir of a TV Newsman by Tony Pagnotti. Tony, thanks so much of your time, and best of luck with the sales, okay?
6: Paul, it was great talking to you. Thanks so much. My pleasure.
5: Our guest today has been Tony Pagnotti. For Catholic Review Radio, I'm Paul McMullen. Thanks for listening, and happy Father's Day. The Catholic Review is the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the Catholic Church full-time. Pick up the monthly magazine at your parish or have it delivered to your home. Subscribe to our e-newsletter for twice-weekly updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Read it today in print or online at catholicreview.org.
4: That's catholicreview.org. Tune in to Catholic Review Radio next week. Available on WMET 1160 AM and 103.1 FM. Also, WSJF 92.7 FM in the Sykesville area and WVTO 92.7 FM in Baltimore City. Check us out on SoundCloud or your favorite podcast app.
0: Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Review Radio. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May Almighty God bless us and keep us always in His love.